Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network. Heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Your source for college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide. Hi, everybody. AJ Hodell, CEO and founder of the Athletic Scholarship Corporation, found on the web at www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com and collegeshowcases.com. Today I have a special guest, uh, D1 coach, baseball coach, head coach, former uh, MLB player, and uh, welcome to the show. Man, I'm glad to have you on. Coach Carlos James over at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Man, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. All right, so let's talk for a little bit. You know, obviously we're going to get into talk about a little bit of recruiting and, and some advice on training, things that, you know, the parents want to, you know, kind of dial in and tune and digest. But in researching your program and your background, I know you've, you've dealt with some programs that were just really down and out and churn them around pretty quick. How would you, you do that at a couple of these programs you've been at? Well, it's just, uh, you know, paying attention to the, the, the small details, uh, most oftentimes, you know, the programs that I've taken over, you know, they don't get there overnight, but, but a lot of things that we do that, I mean, that get them there is, is you know, the, the small details, like, you know, just making sure kids go to class, making sure people are accountable for, you know, whatever it is that they do, and, and just knowing that everything matters, every, anything matters, I mean, all the way down to, you know, um, your practice uniform or, or how do you go to class or, you know, do you keep the field in order? Do you pick up the paper out of the dugout? You know, just those small things like that start to change the culture. And uh, the two places we've been at Arkansas Monticello and now here at University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, we've been able to, with, with paying attention to detail and, and doing the, the little things right, uh, we've been able to change the culture. And uh, you know, kind of turn around both programs into the right direction. And and we call that housekeeping. The little you know, if you own a business, your windows need to be clean at your storefront. You know, things need to be tidied up. And and for you listeners, uh, this guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, he's played at the highest level. He's recruited. It was a scout for the Mariners, correct? Yeah, I was an associate scout for the Mariners uh, on that MLB thing. I didn't play MLB, but I got drafted three times by Oakland. Right, um, which was good, um, but but yeah, just the scouting part was with Seattle's associate scouting job. It was right before I took the job at Arkansas Monticello. Actually, I was getting ready to go into scout school and you know be a full time scout, and uh, then Arkansas Monticello came about, and here I am still coaching ten years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and obviously you turned that program around, and more importantly, I saw that there's over eighty five guys under your tenure that have been academic all you know all american type or all conference guys i mean it's not just about baseball you're getting them into society i know you've got some guys that are in the majors you, you know that have been drafted um yeah. you know which is great obviously kids the first priority for a lot of these kids is baseball first and not academics and it should be the other way around because you know injuries and and things of that nature but how do you keep these guys winning and in the classroom winning well, well, it starts with me. Uh, you know, most of the time, the, the best lessons taught are ones that are learned. Uh, and then, you know, they're saying that they say, you know, what comes from the heart reaches the heart. And I was one of those guys coming up that I put everything into baseball. You know, I thought baseball was going to be, you know, my beginning, all, end all. And I kind of found out one day it ended. And um, I, I messed around in school and got myself ineligible and then bounced around to some independent teams and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. Then you look up and you're married and you got kids and you don't have a degree. And uh, I end up, I was working on a train. I was working at the railroad and I decided I wanted to get back into school and uh, get into coaching. And then, so that was a hard process, you know, to do that. And I actually ended up coaching for three years for free, you know, trying to finish my degree. And I vowed at that point, you know, once I became a, 
a college head coach that I would never let my players put baseball before uh, their academics because at the end of the day, the old adage is true. You know, you got to have something to fall back on. Uh, and then the other thing I found out, too, and, and I can go back to my own playing days, when you do well in the classroom and you do well off the field, the things that you need to do, then your, your game is better. You can focus more on baseball, and you can probably, I mean, I know that you can play better at baseball, and you can probably uh, get further, you know. So I really hammered at home with my kids. Uh, their play for me is that their education is very important and because I learned firsthand that it's, it's very difficult to do things that you want to do without a, a college degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's certainly hard to raise a family and, you know, be a husband and a provider without having, you know, that educational background, you know, to be able to support them. So I really push them. Uh, I, I, I uh, am a stickler for study hall, and, and when we travel on the road, we have hot spots and Wi-Fi on the bus, uh, you know, so I got to do well. And, and when they graduate, I'm there when they walk across the stage and give them a hug and take a picture with them, you know, because... I promise those parents, you know, that we're going to get a degree. We're going to get all. We're going to get as close as we can. So, and the ones that do get to play pro ball, the great thing about it is, for here the last, you know, few years we have, I think, seven or eight that's playing pro ball now. They all have their degrees, you know. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, the worst thing can happen to them is they get out of the pro ball and they get a job. And usually, if you play pro ball and you got an education, somebody's going to give you a pretty good job, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, ask Tony uh, Romo. Ask Tony Romo on that. You know, go get yourself a two million dollar year gig as an analyst, and and call it a day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it all hand in hand. It all works hand in hand. Now we're in the same age bracket, and I was looking when you were being drafted, and and I came out of high school in '92, so we're in the same societal bubble. And one thing that really shocked me when I was reading your bio and doing research is that. Back over at University of Arkansas Monticello, you were the first African American coach at any sport at a head coach position at that school. Is that accurate? Yes, that is that is definitely ac- accurate. Uh, and I was the first head, you know, coach in baseball in the in the uh, Gulf South. Uh, the, the conference then, yeah, was the Gulf South. So you know, and to think that that was what two thousand eight nine. Yeah, we're not talking uh-huh. nineteen seventy eighty here. We're talking. Recent, not you know, eight years ago, nine, nine years ago, not a long time ago. Exactly, uh, and and you know, it's one of those things that I, I couldn't believe it at first, but but once I got into the job, I understood it. Uh, also, understand that everything that had happened to me prior to that prepared me for that moment. Because you know, just being honest with you, being a, a baseball player and being African American, most of the time you don't. There's not many of us playing anyway. Uh, you've right. always grown up being a minority on the team or, or in the program that you're at. And to be able to get that job was a direct reflect of, of the relationship I actually had with a, a umpire, which was the AD there, which was the head softball coach at the time. And one of the winningest coaches here in the state of Arkansas, uh, Mr. Alvey Early, was the, the, the uh, AD at the time when he called me. But he called me because of, a relationship we had when he was umpiring American Legion, you know, and he said that he always, you know, always carried myself, you know, uh, well. He always kind of kept up with my career, and uh, because of it, he gave me that opportunity to come in and interview for the job, you know. So that's another thing I like to tell kids. You never know who's watching you. You never know, you know, what person you're going to leave a mark on, you know, and that one day is going to come back and help you. And, and for me, it, 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 it allowed me to make history, you know, because uh, Alvy, he saw something in me when I was 17, 18 years old that I didn't even know. And it, it led to a job and a, and a uh, historical, groundbreaking job. And, and now I'm in a game of baseball where I probably normally never would have got that opportunity, especially at, at Arkansas Monticello. So, uh, and it's helping me, you know, with my aspirations of becoming one of the, I want to be one of the first, Head, you know, African American coaches in a at an SEC school or a Big Twelve school. So, you know, through that, that gives me hope. And like I say, kids never know who's watching. You know, you, you like they always say, you never burn your bridges. And that's one bridge I'm glad I never burned. You know, 
recruiting is a little bit different from when I, I played or you played, and, and every year it seems to dynamically change, but the societal, with, with the kids, it's instant gratification. They think they can play at the highest level immediately, and then they get a reality check. But one of the things that we kind of preach to our kids that we deal with across the country is that answer every coach. We don't care if it's D1, D2, D3, JUCO, whatever, because that guy or that female coach may get shifted to another university, and that dialogue or that respect that you showed them to reciprocate and respect their time, they remember that. It's a very small community at the end of the day. You, you guys remember some people. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, baseball is a is a real tight fraternity. Um, you know, we, we all get along very well. We just about, as, 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 you know, that thing of six degrees of separation. If you play baseball in any area, you can probably find a coach that you coach against that has some type of connection to you or somebody you play with. And, and we share a lot of information, you know, believe it or not. You know, most people may think that, you know, we recruit against each other. But a lot of times, especially with, you know, your power five schools and then your mid-majors and your smaller D1s like mine, uh, we communicate with the bigger schools. I mean, so they may have a guy that may not fit them, that may fit us. Right. And then they call you and go, hey, man, you know, uh, we can't take this kid, but he'll be a good fit for your program. Or... In my case, I've I've uh, I got so many contacts. You know, I may have coaches at Power Five schools call me about certain kids that I've seen and played against, or you know, know somebody in that area, and then they'll get a jump on a kid. You know, uh, so you got to always watch. Like you say, you always got to be be mindful of when coaches contact you, whether they're from a junior college or NAIA. A mid-major like mine, or I mean, a, a small D1 like mine, mid-major, that you're just not big league. We call it big league. You know how we we used to use back in our days. You never big league anybody and, and try to play like you're more than what you are. You know, you give everybody the same type of respect because, like you say, you never know when. I mean, a guy like me, I could become an assistant next year at a power five, and you, that guy that you know, kind of shunned us, and then now you got to. Even though I wouldn't hold that against the kid, but Kids got to understand that nowadays because you just never know where your opportunity may come. You may get to that Power 5 school and realize you can't play at that level and you have to go down, you know, and that don't make you a bad player. It just makes you not ready right now, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about baseball. You can go play anywhere and get a shot at playing in, in, in pro baseball because it takes uh, different kids different times to get ready, you know, to mature in the game of baseball. So, you know, I would – very caution everyone. If, if a coach takes the time out and thinks enough of you to give you a call or send you a letter, please answer them back. Yeah, we tell them that, and we know that some kids just don't do it. And then they're, you know, a few weeks before signing day, and they're going, "Well, can we can we revisit that?" And it's like these coaches moved on. I mean, you're not the only one that's getting romanced. And this recruiting is very aggressive. It's competitive. And speaking on recruiting, what are and I know there's more than three, but I always ask coaches, what are the top three traits you look for in a prospect or someone that you're recruiting? What are the core traits that you value most? Uh, one is, is, is going to be his relationship with his family. I mean, that, that's kind of first for me. Uh, two is going to be, you know, the academics, you know, within the school, of course. And uh, three, in the last part, has got to be athletic ability. You know, uh, you got to have some ability. But that character is huge uh, because you, you got to understand that we're dealing with, you know, rosters of 35 people. Uh, and with that comes a lot of uh, extra. You know, when you get the kids, you get the parents. And you get everything that goes along with the kids. So, you know, I watch their social media. I watch their Snapchat all that stuff, I Instagram, anything that they're on, if I, if I start to recruit them, I start to look it up. And, uh, you know, one of the tricks of the trade that we had, I'm going to let this out right now, is is if they got a girlfriend, I always follow her because she's going <laughs> to always put, she's gonna put out the, the real stuff on that prospect. Uh, she always does. She don't mean to not to, but they just do. You know, and, and you can get the real information on the kid through the girlfriend uh, or and or the mom. You know, mom and dad always put stuff out about kids, but more so the, the girlfriend uh, 
outside of college, then you got all this free time here. Yeah, we have it structured out for you, but you still have so much free time. You're probably not going to make it, you know, in college with, with the additional free time that you're going to have, you know, uh, according to all the NCAA rules we have, where we can practice and not practice and how much, you know, we can have involvement with you. So that stuff matters. It really does. Like I said, character will be number one. The academics will be number two. And, of course, you know, going back to the athletic park, if you couldn't play, we wouldn't be calling you anyway. So that's right. kind of self-explanatory. It's crazy that you led into the social media because that was my next part of the show was I always talk about social media and we preach and preach and preach, and they still do crazy stuff. And it's like, hey, you should use social media, almost be like annoying Tim Tebow-ish where – your brand is yeah. different, and you're talking about you know, maybe your your spirituality and your training, your diet, you you love your family, and and guys just don't do it, and they'd rather talk about some things that just don't help them. And so, when you yeah. look at these recruits, and you've go you've you've totally gone a whole nother level. I've never had a coach say, "I look at the girlfriend." That's funny, and and it's true. Cause, right. You know, you find out everything, all the all the bad laundry. But have you really seen a an influx of guys that you just go, you know, I really like the talent level, but I just can't, I can't mess with this young man because of what I'm seeing. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, I have, I have stopped recruiting a couple guys because of what's on their, you know, Twitter page or Instagram because, and like I said, I always, a lot of them is good at hiding it, and, and some of the stuff they do, you go, well, boys will be boys, but when I take that second look and look at girlfriend's page and she'll put out all that extra stuff that they do, uh, I'll shy away. I'll shy away pretty quick, you know, because my experience uh, is usually when they get wrapped up in, in that and with the girlfriend and all that extracurricular, they're not going to be with you long anyway. You know, they're going to they're gonna pretty much run or leave. They pretty much show you what they are, and, and it only gets worse when they get to college. Uh, like I said, because now you become, you know, you have a lot of free time. I, I, I can watch over them, but I can't watch them 24-7, seven days a week. You know, there's going to be times in their weekends that they may not even see me early because we can't start practice to a certain time. Or we may get done with practice and they have weekends free. You know, so you got to be able to trust your players that they're going to do the right thing off the field as well. So, uh, especially at a school like mine where most of the kids stay off campus anyway, you know. So um, it's definitely a huge deal, you know, that social media. I, I, I've, I've not recruited some kids because of social media. I've gotten rid of some kids here because of what they put on their social media page. Mm. Well, you know, probably about 30 minutes from now, after some kids listen to the show, if girlfriends are listening, if you got if you got dropped, you know why. <laughs> They're not following each other on social oh, yeah. media. You know why. I mean, it's good advice, it, it, or just keep it separate. But they don't. Yeah, you. No, they they won't. <laughs> they won't. They can't help it. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and they can't help it. They just you know put I'm gonna put it out there, and, and it's like why? I mean, we, you know, and they're not doing anything different than we did. To be honest, you know, when we were growing up, it's just we didn't go out on the front porch and advertise it or put it in the paper. We just kept it private and and learn from our mistakes and moved on. But now these kids seem to market it and share it and retweet it. And I mean, it's just crazy. And, and we try to tell them that they're, they're watching and they don't believe it. They think it's just another one of those uh, police alerts that this is what goes on. And it truly does go on. I heard it from the horse's mouth. So, uh, you know, looking at recruiting at the high school, you know, coaches, what do you, what do you, Obviously, you've got to talk to the high school coach to get a character reference and talk about work ethic, but how much do you think high school coaches really can do for their team? I mean, a lot of parents, they, they expect these coaches who are husbands or wives, teachers, have their own children, and then, oh, by the way, they're a baseball coach. How much do you really uh -huh. see them marketing these kids, or how much are they really able to do? Uh, I think... You know, the really good ones are able to do a lot more, I think, even than the uh, the, the so-called summer travel ball coaches because they, they have the opportunity to practice with their kids and be more hands-on with them. Uh, they're going to know more, more things. They're going to be more privy to more personal character-type information about their student-athletes than that, that travel ball coach or that summer. 
I'm a coach would because at that, at that point, and you know as well as I do, it's about winning and just showcasing kids. They don't really get to form that relationship with them. So with the, with the high school coach, I can get more of, of an in-depth uh, uh, read on who that kid really is. You know, so I, I think the, the high school coach play a really big role. I think some of them don't play as big a role as they should because, you know, there's some guru out there that's taking a kid all around town, all around the country that's got more pulls because, like, nowadays it's, it's about what you can do for me. And they think that since this guy's taking them to this tournament and that tournament, well, he knows more than the high school coach, which is not true. Uh, most of the high school coaches do a very good job. I think the high school coaches need to step up more and take more of a role in, in their kids, uh, you know, especially, you know, coaching them and, 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 and uh, putting them out there. I get more stuff from travel ball coaches than I do high school coaches, and I much rather hear from the high school coaches because they, they most of the time they're going to see them in the classroom. They've probably seen them ever since ninth grade you know, at least ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. So they're going to have more information and knowledge about who that kid really is. So I would implore the high school coach, coaches to continue to, you know, take an active role in, in placing their players. Yeah, we have a unique kind of marketing platform where we, we work with those high school coaches and we tell the student athlete and the parents that, look, the buck stops at your coach because they know more about you than we can. Of course, you're going to, do the great resume and the interview and, and everything's going to look shiny. But at the end of the day, the high school coach has to speak in, in truth about your character and your work ethic. So we put together a great marketing program with technology and print materials, things like that. But at the end of the day, the coach is never going to go away. So you really got to keep your relationship respectful and just keep working hard. And sometimes a, a guy at the college level will take a hardworking good kid over a talented kid that's got a lot of issues, obviously. Oh, definitely, definitely that, and, and, and plus, trust me, I've heard this one before. I was like, well, if you played on all these, these teams in the summer, you've done this, do that, well, why you don't play at your high school? Well, my coach, my high school coach is this, but he's that. Well, yeah. if you're going to tell me that, not times out of 10, if you get here and you don't like something I do, then you're going to be telling everybody, well, Coach James this, Coach James that, you know, yeah. so yeah. Uh, the high school coach still, he, he matters. He matters a lot. What uh, is your best advice to parents listening and, and baseball players to prepare for the recruiting process? I mean, what, what do you like to see them do, it, be it get the eligibility center's paperwork in earlier? or what, what, do you, what, what, what do you look at and say, I like this young man because of this? Uh, I, I think that would be one, one of the, the main things nowadays with all the rules with NCAA now is to really get on top of that, that NCAA clearinghouse uh, know what classes you need to take early because like now starting in the ninth grade you don't have an opportunity to fail a class and then retake it and it count uh, towards your eligibility now so I think getting on top of that is, is, is first and foremost for us because no matter how talented you are if you don't have those those academic things in order coming into college then it's, it's a moot point especially for us smaller schools because in baseball well, actually for all of us, because in baseball, unlike football, you know, we only got at the most 11-7 at your major schools, you know. Mm -hmm. So we can't afford to bring a kid in on scholarship and not play him. And then at my school, where we only got 4.9 scholarships, I surely can't bring a kid in on on scholarship and wait till he gets eligible, you know, instead of year, even though you can do that. But we're not in that situation in baseball across the country to be able to do that, no matter how talented you are. You know, so uh, I, I would implore them to make sure that they get with their guidance counselors and make sure that they understand the NCAA clearinghouse and the rules and the classes they need to take. And also this, that all of the high schools as well need to make sure they update all their information with the NCAA about the classes that they're offering at their school so that kids can come out and be eligible as well. So we've had that problem here where your smaller districts, your smaller rural area schools done update with the NCAA and kids taking science and math classes that that hadn't been updated with the NCAA that they kick out. And now that kid may have a 
a 4.8 GPA and a 20 something on ACT, but he's still ineligible because his stuff, his requirements haven't been updated, you know, in the system. So I employ the guidance counselors as well to get in there and make sure they get everything changed up in the system so they can update all the classes and the courses and, and their weight uh, as far as their school, whether NCA can deem those classes uh, good classes or not. You know, we've had that with the, especially with the algebra classes. Um, you know, those different math classes that kids need to be eligible. You know, a lot of those, the rural area schools doesn't get in there and update their uh, information and those kids become ineligible. And we have to go through a lot of paperwork to get them eligible and they've taken the right class, but it hasn't been updated in the system. Yeah, and you're right. We actually put a tool on athleticscholarshipcorp.com Back in uh, 16, the rule change was 4-4, four and four, where you had to take four cores four years so that you have to pace and milestone your core classes where back, you know, at 15 or earlier, guys would, you know, fluff off and take a, a shop class or, a, a, you know, some right. non-elective, and then they get to their senior year and they think, I'm going to cram everything I'm supposed to take, all my core classes now, and be eligible, yeah. and then they find out, oh, I'm not, even though I have a 3.8. I mean, you've seen some guys... It brought oh, the tears yeah. over it, and they don't realize it when you try to tell them, just take 15 minutes. You know, get off social media for 15 minutes, clowning around, retweeting, yeah. you know, a Lil Wayne lyrics or whatever you do, and get on there and put in, you can actually put in your school, and it will tell you in our system what classes are approved for your school with the NCAA. Awesome. And if you don't have them on that list, you don't have four of them, you better get your guidance counselor immediately and change your schedule. So That is awesome. That's awesome. Everybody should have that. Well, we track what our base and, and what people use. We have ACT and SAT prep also where they can take practice tests, and we find that about 3% of our users, which is tens of thousands, does not use the tools. And it's very frustrating, and we, you know, we're at a point, myself personally, where we provide you the tools, but you got to open the toolbox. You know, you, you're not going to get anything done unless you start doing something for yourself, but everybody expects the coaches to do it, and it's sad. Yeah. Parents expect the coaches to do it, and, and, you know, even when they get to college, you've got to clean up some things. You know, it is what it is. They're young men, but, um, you, you know, you're you're exactly right on the eligibility stuff. It's a big deal. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a big it, deal. It is a huge deal, and, and like you said, we can't even offer you a scholarship. I mean, it's, it's frustrating to us, too. We, we've got all this good information on you, and all of a sudden, the 3.8 isn't right. Yeah, the 3.8 isn't enough. Yeah, who would have thought, right? And, and people people don't. They think, I got a 3.8, I'm good. And they, they don't realize it's totally different. And it's going to get harder. It's gotten harder for the JUCO kids. They got to take ACT tests coming out now. They, You know, it used to be, I've got a 1.7 or a 2.1, I'm not NCAA eligible, 1 or 2, so I'm going to go JUCO. And then they go, oh, you mean I have to clear now still? So and a lot of kids don't know yeah. that. And it makes it tougher for you, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Now, let's talk about advice for those parents or student-athletes training. I know there's been a rash of, even at our own showcases, we use ZEP technology and, you know, all these apps and, 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 and bat speed and degrees of swing, all this great stuff, and it's probably too much data. But what do you think, you know, for that kid that is in a rural area or, maybe doesn't have the resources for this technology and, and I don't I don't agree that the technology makes them better. I think it's a measurable. But what do you what do you do with your guys or your advice to those kids to train and get better, you know, at baseball, be it a pitcher or an outfielder or hitter? What what are the core fundamentals you think they should be focusing on? Uh, one, you know, of course the old adage you gotta play the game to get better. Um, I, I think I think the more you play it the better you get. Um and that's going to get me into another whole deal because I, I really believe in practicing. Uh, but there's not a lot of that going on because of all this new technology. You know, people want to go and get measured on bat speed and exit velocity and mm -hmm. and all these different things. But like you said, it's good for measurables, true, but it doesn't make you a, a really good baseball player. You know, you could take a great athlete and, and get measurables from them, you know, but it doesn't make you a really good baseball player. So, you know, I, I would would caution people on that and, just, you know, would say go out and try to play a game more. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of practicing. I just, 
I just like to see kids practice the game and go out and work on their craft and under, actually understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, going to these different, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, academies and things like that, and they're doing things that they don't know why they're doing them. <laughs> and, and when I get them, then, then they know how to do all these things, but they don't know why and when to use it. You know, uh, they don't know how to use a drop step to fill a, a, a ground ball. I get kids that think they need to get in front of every ground ball. Well, at my level, you can't get in front of every ground ball. you got to learn to use a drop step. you got to use a backhand. you got to know how to plant and throw off your off your back foot, you know, in one motion to get the ball across the diamond in certain instances where, you know, a lot of people are teaching them things like that, but they're not telling them why, you know. So uh, the kids in rural areas, you know, to learn why, and I think my other thing with, with uh, being a better baseball player is to play multiple sports. I think if you if you done specialize, we got too many kids specializing in just baseball, and they become robotic. Mm. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about, yep. uh, they play baseball only. You know, they go, I'm not going to play football because I want to be in fall baseball. I'm not going to play basketball because of you know, it's pre-baseball, and I'm not going to play, you know, this because of that. But what hurts them is they become more so robotic in baseball that they have no fluid fluidity to the, in the game. And you need that in baseball. And I think playing multiple sports as you come up, by the time you get to college, then, yeah, now you start to specialize, but you, you gain all these different type movements to be able to make those movements in the game. Because in the game of baseball, is about angles. You know, it's about taking the right angles and drop steps and things like that. But you can only learn that by doing other sports, I think. You know, so um, I would I would ask kids to please do that, you know, and not to be so robotic and just, hey, I'm, I'm just a baseball player because those guys usually don't work at my level, you know, just being a robotic baseball player because the game is just so athletic now and it's so fast. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I coached football at, at, at a high level and – one of the things was guy runs a four three forty, and it's like great, but does it transition on the football field? Can he do a football play? Can he move side to side laterally? And the game of baseball from high school to college is a huge jump, and and kids don't realize it till they get there. And like you said, you can't get in front of every ball. It's so fast, and you got to be able to take an angle. You got to be able to have the muscle memory to complete an athletic right. movement. And why do you think Antonio Gates in football? is one of the best tight ends in history. Well, he was a basketball player. He played at Kent State. He didn't play football. But guess what? Those basketball players are becoming very relevant in football because they can complete athletic movements. Exactly. And so exactly. I, I think it's great advice. What happens is a lot of parents, they get channeled into by a lot of trainers. And I'm not knocking trainers. There's great trainers. No. And, you know, but they get so embedded in trying to run their business and keep their client base and you need to do this year round, and and you're right. They just get tunnel vision. They're not diverse, and I think when you're young, you should do everything you can while you're young, before you get married, before you get into, you know, I don't want to say a rut, but just reality. Adult life is different. Play everything you can just to get the experience. That 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 I, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I would I would much rather recruit a kid that played multiple sports because I'm gonna get a, a, a those kids. I found they adapt faster to Division One baseball because of the different movements. I mean, I have a freshman now that adapted pretty well because he was a football player, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, also played baseball, whereas I had one that played baseball only, and he hit a wall within 10, 15 games of the season, you know. Uh, it's a difference. It makes a difference, uh, I think, in playing multiple sports and, and always asking why. If you do, you're going to get trained, you know, at an academy somewhere, or some trainer trying to you, or somebody that play ball or whatever. Yeah, I'm just talking about how, you know, kids should make sure that wherever they're being taught, they, they understand why and what they're doing. Um, and and that, that would be the biggest thing to me. It, I, I don't knock any academy. I mean, I've, I've taught at an academy, but I've always – made sure that my kids understood why I was teaching them certain things and how this is going to help you in the game. If I'm teaching you a certain movement or a certain swing or 
oh, we're trying to put your swing together. I'm telling you, okay, this is why we're doing this. So that if this happens, you can do this. If this happens, you do, you do this. So this is the reason why we do this. Because at that point, then you start to help with the kids' overall knowledge of the game of baseball. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, I, kind of closing the show, I always ask you guys what we call, you know, the, the challenges and champion moments. Looking back, and, and we're going to talk about high school, uh, college, and or even it, it, trying to work your way into the pro ranks, what do you think the, the biggest challenge that sticks out in your mind looking back as a high school athlete? What, what did you face where you said, man, this is just, how am I going to make it through this? Uh I, I think for me was just being able to be consistent. Um, it, 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 it got kind of, it, it's hard when you come up through Little League and, and you're very you're good at something, you're really good, you get to, you get to the next level, Jimmy Bay Ruth, and you're good, it's kind of easy. And then when you get into high school, then you start to see the separation and, you have to understand that, okay, now i got to put in more work, you know, so to be consistently good as I've, as I've been in the past. And I think that would be the main thing. That, that's when you start to have your first taste of, I could fail at this, you know, and that's a bad feeling. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. whoa. Yep. You know, like, whoa, uh, you know, I don't know, especially when, you know, you get up into those tournaments where you start to face guys along your same level. If you're that type, you know, baseball player, you go, "Whoa, I gotta kind of, I gotta kind of, you know, push it here and, and, and work a little bit harder so I can get better." So I, I think that would be my my thing in high school is just learning how to be consistent, uh, learning how to practice. That would be the main. That would be my other thing uh, in high school that I learned that 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 point I met. How about college level or even going into the, you know, working on the pro teams? I'm sure that there's probably more than one real challenge moment, but what sticks out there? <laughs> uh, in college, oh, it was an eye-opener. I mean, first day I went to Seminole State. Well, Seminole State College now, but it was Seminole Junior College in Oklahoma. Uh, never will forget it. First day. Uh, you go to the meeting and you stand up in the room and, hey, I have been drafted and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'm a big dog. I'm going to stand up here and tell these guys, you know, hey, <laughs> who I am, what I'm from, and I'm the center fielder. Well, by the time we had about 60 people or 70 people in the room at the time, and by the time they all got up, everybody had been drafted and everybody was All-American and everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so... That was absolutely terrifying. You look around and go, oh, my God, everybody's good. You know, now what do I do? You know, so I guess that part would be, you know, I had to figure out how to separate. You know, what do I, what do I have to do to separate myself from the competition? Because we're all good, you know. Uh, so that was, that was an eye-opener. That was totally an eye-opener. When you can look out there and then you go out on the field that same day and you hitting balls out of the park, and this other guy's hitting ball out of the park, no matter what size he is. And I can throw a ball, you know, 280, 300 feet on the line, and this guy can do it. You know, I can go get a ball in the gap, this guy can do it. You know, so right. that would be the thing. Like, okay, you know, how do I separate myself here? And then at that point in college, I had to learn how to make those adjustments every day. You know, I had to learn how to come to work every day prepared to be better every day, every day. Whereas high school, hey, I didn't have to do much because I could let the sophomores catch fly balls today because I'm pretty good and I don't have to practice. You know, I'm, I'm cool. I can, I, can, I can take off today and just try to hit bombs in practice. You know, whereas when I got to college, it's like, uh-oh. Today I better work on going the other way. I better work on hitting that slider because I thought it was a fastball when I got to college because I seen a real one, and I thought it was a fastball until somebody told me how and how to hit it and what it was, and I go, oh, okay. So I had to work on that, you know. So at that point in college, you go, I gotta start. I got work to do, and, it, and it's gotta happen every single day, not just two days out of the week or one day when you're in, in high school or American Legion or 
travel for summer ball, you could hey, one one day or two days a week, I'm still good on a weekend. I'm going to get my four or five hits, but not in college. Uh-uh. It's got to be every day, especially at the high level. Yeah, I interviewed a friend of mine who was a four-time All-American at Penn State, played with the Philadelphia Eagles, and one of the things he said was when he stepped in and he realized the third stringer behind him was All-American and was on a full ride, too, it was like, uh, you know, this guy's third string, so it's next man up. I mean, and it's true at the college level. We tell parents and we tell, you know, it's business. You guys as coaches, if you don't win, I mean, they could love you to death. You could be the greatest guy, but if you continually lose, you don't keep your job. Exactly. You got to go. So <laughs> gotta what's go. what's the toughest thing um, as a coach at, at the college level? Is it is it an 0-14 deal, being part of that team, or is it being the first African-American coach, or is there something tougher than that? I think the, the toughest part is, one, uh, I, I guess for me, is, is, is just being consistent with your players every day. Uh, you got to be who you say you are, um, and that takes a lot of energy and effort every day on your part because, you know, people don't understand that you got 35 kids, which like I can tell you, that brings a lot more people. So each 35 kids got at least one parent, you know, so you, you multiply that and you've got over 100, 200 some people to answer to all the time for is not, not directly, but indirectly where you told all these people that you're going to take care of their kids and you're going to help them get an education and you're going to grow them up to be men. I said, so I, I would say the, the hard part is, is just, making sure that you stick to your guns and you stay you keep those kids accountable and you keep them growing and then the hardest part is when you get that one or two that that don't get it and you have to let them go you know because it feels like you failed and that's a hurting feeling you know that's a really hurt feeling when when you just can't reach a kid that you thought that you could and you had to you know like you said we recruited them, you know, it's like dating, you warm and fuzzy, and, and all of a sudden it, it turns out, you know, not to be what it is because of one thing or another. So I think those are those are the hard parts of coaching. It's not the baseball part. It's the relationship part, you know. That would be my first thing, I would say, is just making sure that, that you be the man that you say you are, and it takes work every day. And if any coach tells you it doesn't, he's lying <laughs> because it does. It does because you get emotionally attached to your kids. You really do. Whether whether they like you or you like them or not, you get attached to them. And your job is at the end of the day is to help them, you know, to mature and become men. So that would be my first one. And then the other one, of course, is being an African-American coach in, in baseball and college and breaking a lot of the stereotypes. Uh, my team is diverse. My coaching staff is diverse. You know, I think that was, that's my next thing is just making sure that everything I do is uh, professional, is on point, and, and, and I'm teaching, you know, life skills and then teaching the game of baseball and I'm organized and, and you know, just try not to be stereotyped, I guess you know, so to speak, and we can get into that later, but that's, that's my thing, yeah. Now, championship moments, what was the defining championship moment for you in high school? Uh, in high school, championship moment, uh, I guess my senior year, it started before then, it, it, my senior year in high school, you know, I played at Pamela High School, which was is one of the top high school baseball programs used to be, especially in the 80s and the 90s in the country. You know, we had Coach Billy Bott, which was, you know, he's the coach of the decade of the 80s. Uh, we've been ranked number one in the nation in baseball on several occasions. I think the defining moment is when, you know, putting on that uniform at Pine Bluff and, and my senior year, they were telling us that we were no better than fifth place in our own division. And then we ended up finishing, I think, 13th in the country. We only lost one game. Uh, I think that was that was it, you know, just kind of upholding the mystique. You know, we, we beat a good Germantown, Tennessee team that year, which was number three in the country at the time at our place, uh, which was good. Uh, 
because we, you know, we faced Phil Clark, and then come to find out the little boy that was a bad boy, he became my assistant coach a couple of years ago. You know, so uh, you know that that type of thing. You know, uh, those are great moments for me in high school, and then getting drafted. You know, was like the the uh, the icing on the cake. You know, all that hard work all the way up through little league and Jean Beirut and staying after practice in high school, coming before practice, my coach throwing me BP and hitting me fly balls. And the day I got my name called in the draft was special. How about that college trip after having that meeting? Did you end up picking up one of some, some positive moments after getting reality check with all those guys in the room? Yeah, uh, it definitely. Uh, it, it Just being a part of something bigger than yourself in college. You know, because you are playing with a bunch of guys that are just as good as you are, and now you have to be a part instead of being the star. You know, everybody's not going to be a star in college. Uh, so that would be the the, the, the championship moment in, in college is just understanding how to be a part of a team uh, uh, and knowing what your role is until you get the chance to be the, you know, the so-called big dog if you if you get that opportunity. But, but just knowing how to... Uh, play within the team concept with a bunch of guys that are just as good or better than you are. So that, that helped me out a lot. And then we'll, we'll end it and wrap up the segment here as a coach. I know, you know, seeing these guys graduate is obviously, I would think, a championship moment. But what, what really sticks out for you on, on the, the coaching career? Oh, man, um, just when you get those calls to, to go be in a wedding, come to a wedding, or, hey, coach, I got married, I just got a new job. Uh, if you plan somewhere in a different state and your former players show up and they bring their wife and their kids and you take the pictures and stuff like that, those are championship moments right there. Um, or, or they'll just drop you a line every now and then, hey, coach, how you doing? I remember when you said this, it really helped me. Those are the true championship moments. Yeah, we all want to win championships, and I think you you win championships when you create those type of relationships. Your 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 teams do win and, and uh, excel on the field when you create those type of of relationships with your players to where when they leave, they still think enough of you to call you and check on you and see how you're doing, or to invite you to a win, or send you pictures of their kids, or let you meet their wife, or you know they show up at games stuff like that so those are championship moments right there that's awesome man i appreciate your time greatly coach carlos james head baseball coach over at the university of arkansas at pine bluff if anybody wants to get a hold of you um what's the best way for a kid to maybe if it's an email or a tweet what do you like to see if a kid wants to send information uh you can send me an email at james j-a-m-e-s-c as in carlos at uapb.edu or my Twitter page is uh, UAPBCJames, and so is my Instagram page, UAPBCJames. I, I put everything under that, so uh, that's an easy way to get in contact with me. I do like video because yeah. at our school, <laughs> we, our budget is not big at all. Like I said, 4.9 scholarships, we only deal with 35 grand a year, so I don't have a recruiting budget. So videotape and, and talking to high school coaches and, other scouts that that helps out a lot in our recruiting process well i know today we uh out of our office sent you a or no i'm sorry last night a guy went out with a 4.0 that's actually a very good baseball player so that helps but you know when you got great grades it makes it a little bit easier for you to fill those gaps obviously or financial need kids there's a lot of good ball players that have a high financial need and and that's what we try to educate the parents is that use that financial need to get your foot in the door at the university because there's not going to be everybody on that squad getting a ton of money. Oh, it's not. I can tell you right now on my team, I got 35 people with 4.9 scholarships. I start on average four guys that uh, – four or five guys that are not on scholarship at all. And, and most of my money have to go to pitchers. So you got the other half of those guys that's probably on the field that are all academic money. And and we still have went out and we've won games like this year. We won a game against Alabama. Uh, we've beat TCU in the past. Uh, we beat Mississippi State, you know, when he was ranked as well. You know, we've beat some really big schools with guys that are not on scholarship. 
and or you know on any kind of money. So it can happen, um, and you can come and, and play at a school and be a big contributor, not be on a lot of money. You know, like you said, it goes back to a lot of people think that you know I got to go to a school or I got to get this big huge scholarship so I can tell everybody I got forty percent, fifty percent, twenty percent, whatever. At the end of the day, sometimes you just got to go where you got an opportunity at, and sometimes that may not uh, entail a scholarship, but it, it entails an opportunity, you know, and, and that's what we give here at UAPB is the opportunity because every year you're going to play some of the best teams in the country and the best venues in the country. Like last night, you know, even though we got rained out, we was, we were scheduled to play Oklahoma State, which is a great venue to play in, a team that went to the College World Series last year. You know, we played Mississippi State earlier played Ole Miss earlier, uh, Missouri earlier, um, you know, so, you know, those are the moments that kids can go, you know what, I may not be on a full ride, or I might not even get a scholarship, but I get the opportunity, and that's all you need, because I've had those kids come in like that, and they get drafted, and not even been on scholarship before, you know, so right. it doesn't matter. Right. All right, Coach, and I know you're a busy guy, and I greatly appreciate your time and advice, and, and we'll make sure that uh, your, your message gets utilized effectively, and, and uh, I appreciate your time. We'll keep sending kids your way. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Scholarship Corporation Radio Network, heard worldwide on www.athleticscholarshipcorp.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more college recruiting help, training advice, motivation, and more from pro athletes, coaches, celebrities, and entrepreneurs worldwide.